Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at bkcwest.com. Season Tingler is a vineyard. She's been a vineyard pastor in the area for many years. She's a mom. She is amazing, and she's going to bring our message today. So please help me welcome Season. Okay, well, I can affirm I have been a pastor in the area. I'm a mom. The amazing part, I don't know for sure. Two truths and a lie. I'll let you guys decide. Um, I don't know if this will move. I think it's great, as long as I don't trip over it. Okay, my mic feels like it's too high. There, now you don't have to hear me breathing. Is that better? Okay, all right. Well, good morning. Uh, like Erica said, my name is Season Tingler, and uh, our family is so excited to be back with you guys. The last time we were here was on Mother's Day last year, and you guys were just so warm and welcoming and kind to us. We've been looking forward to coming back, and uh, it sounds like maybe we should come on Easter, too, since you're having pancakes and Easter egg hunts. Elle was already trying to get her dad to get out the Easter eggs this week and do an Easter egg hunt. Um, So we're very excited about spring in our house. I loved, um, before service, Erica was praying, uh, just some of the leaders were gathered, and she was praying about how, you know, it kind of feels like the sunshine coming today after that last dump of snow and cold weather. It kind of feels like like the breakthrough of spring might be coming this week. Like we maybe have turned a corner, right? The new is coming and it's kind of been dark and cold for so long. And that's really what's happening in our message today too. You guys have been going through the book of Genesis and things are kind of dark uh, still in chapter 11. And today is like the new beginning. Like God begins to unfold this plan for redemption of humanity through relationship with a man and his family. And so I get the exciting part. Uh, Cody got to deliver all of the like, here's the ups and downs of the first 11 chapters. And I'm here today to bring you warm weather and a plan for redemption. So um, a couple things before we jump in to Genesis 12. That's our passage that we're going to be unpacking today. The first 11 chapters of Genesis... It goes through and it spans a couple thousand years. Okay, so whenever you're studying Genesis and you're looking at those first 11 chapters, really those are details about a couple thousand years. Then when we begin to zoom in on Abram and his family in chapter 12, from chapter 12 all the way through the end of Genesis, chapters 12 through 50, that covers a few hundred years. So the reason I'm sharing that with you is that there's more information about Abram and his family than there are the origin of the universe. Think about that for a second. God beginning to zoom in on this one man and his family, he's provided for us more information about his relationship with that family than he has the origin of the universe and creation. That must mean it's pretty important. And so today as we look through uh, chapter 12, and hopefully the whole time that you guys have been looking through Genesis, uh, I hope that you've seen 
that this book isn't just the way things were supposed to be before humanity really messed things up. I hope that you've seen glimpses of God's grace sprinkled everywhere. I know that I've been watching the messages online leading up to this week, and Cody's been sharing with you all of the ways that God reveals who he is to us from the very beginning. He's pointing to Jesus the whole time. Sometimes when we open Genesis, we can get lost in the names that we can't really read and uh, decide that like, okay, things are really dark. Humans mess things up. Can we just skip to the gospels and read about Jesus, please? I don't know if you've ever read Genesis like that, but there's been times when I'm like, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this seems hopeful. But Jesus was there from the beginning. When we see in Genesis, we can see Jesus all the way at the beginning in Genesis. There's hope. There's always been hope. And there's still hope today. So chapter 12, let's go ahead and and start there uh, together. I'm going to show you a a visual real quick, just of who Abram, like where does Abram come from? Um, There's a picture, hopefully. I sent it to Cody, so... Uh, This is just a picture of like, who is Abram? Because I told you the first 11 chapters, we end chapter 11 with finding out that there is an account of Shem, who was one of Noah's sons, and it starts listing off all the names. And I really like this graphic because the beard is so impactful. You see how you don't have to read through like how long everybody lived? Like you get the point that people used to live a really long time and now they're starting to not. It's pretty simple, right? Um, so Shem, one of Noah's sons, everyone who knows who Noah is, one of Noah's sons, Shem, this kind of takes you all the way through Shem's family tree so that you can understand where we're starting today with this man named Abram. And, um, as we're thinking about what God is doing and how he's interacting with Abram, I encourage you just right now, just fix your heart and your mind on what it is that God might want to reveal to you about himself today. Through the way that he's interacting with Abram, through the story of him calling Abram, Lord, we just, we ask you, give us revelation, give us new insight to our own callings. Lord, refresh things that our hearts have forgotten about, Lord. Lord, will you just plant new seeds in relationship with us today? Do that, Lord. Lord, it's, this is about you. Lord, we don't glorify anyone the way we glorify you, Lord. Nothing is better than you. Amen. All right, so chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord speaking to Abram. So things are really dark. Humanity is broken. They're discerning good and evil on their own. And God says to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. So God speaks to Abram and uh, you might've noticed I'm calling him Abram. 
I probably won't throw out the message. It'll go back and forth. But we know him mostly as Abraham, right? That's what his name would become. And Abraham means the father of many nations. When we think of Abraham in the Bible, I don't know about you, but growing up, Father Abraham, he had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. He, he's famous. The Lord already complete, done, sermon's over. He completed the promise. His name is famous. Abraham is, we know him as a father of our faith. But I think from the very get-go, we have to understand that Abraham, Abram did not start there. When God spoke this promise to Abraham, when God spoke to him, um, it's important for us to know just where Abram comes from. When we look at that visual of the beards, you see, God didn't pursue Abram because Abram had been doing all these things to please God and make him happy. In fact, Joshua 24, 2 tells us that from ancient times, Abram's father and his ancestors have been worshiping other gods. Okay, so that's the atmosphere he's grown up in. Specifically, Joshua says, from ancient times, your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, which is the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. Talk about calling someone out, right? People are serving other gods, namely, if we're going to get specific here, Terah, the father of Abraham. So Abraham wasn't this great man of faith when God spoke this initial promise to him and began to call him out, it was out of God's grace. Have you noticed that theme yet in your series so far? That here are a whole lot of broken people who are doing nothing to deserve God's intervention, yet he keeps stepping into their brokenness, pursuing them before they ever did a thing that might please him. We're seeing it again right from the beginning. Our father, the patriarch of faith in so many religions, did nothing to deserve God coming and pursuing him to unfold this plan. That's so important for us because that's a common theme that's going to go all the way through Genesis, through, the script, through scripture, and through our message today. So these promises that God gives Abram, let's take a look at them. God gives Abram several promises. He first, he, he commands him to leave his native country, and then he gives him several promises. He tells him, I will make you a great nation. We know that Abram's family will go on to be called Israel, a kingdom of priests. God has set Israel apart so that others might know what God is like. He's going to make them a great nation. He's going to bless Abram and make him famous. You know, we just talked about how the whole rest of the book of Genesis zooms in on his family, but Abraham's name is as Abraham is in the New Testament over like 80 times. It's not just Christians who have a high amount of respect and really spend a lot of time studying Abraham when it comes to our faith. Muslims and Jews also consider him a patriarch of their religion. I'd say God made his name pretty famous. God tells him you'll be a blessing to others. That God will bless those who bless him and curse those who treat him with contempt. And he also says that all families on earth will be blessed through Abram. 
all families on earth. Let's just sit in that for a second. God speaks to Abram and he says, all families on earth will be blessed through you. Well, sounds like a lot of responsibility. How's that gonna happen? One man? I think that it's important for us to go back to Genesis 3 because um, when God is speaking to Abram about this promise and saying that all families on earth will be blessed through you, uh, this is actually not the first time God has spoken something like this because when he's saying all families will be blessed through you, he's speaking of Jesus. He's speaking that from the lineage of Abraham will come Jesus. And it is through Jesus who all families will be blessed. And the first time, do you remember the first time God actually began to give us a little glimpse of this promise that there would be one who would come to redeem all of humanity, that he would make things right, that the Satan, that the serpent would not win in the end. Do you remember where it was? All the way back in Genesis 3:15, right after sin entered the world right? Sin entered the world, Adam and Eve, they felt shame. Like as quickly as sin came into the world, God came looking for them. Do you remember that part? He came to find them. He came, he stepped into their brokenness. He came to pursue them. And then he delivered a curse on the serpent. And what he said to the serpent in, in chapter three, verse 15, uh, it says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Theologians like to call this the proto-evangelium. Uh, proto meaning first and evangelion meaning the announcement of the good news of the gospel. And I just like to call it, wow, that is so amazing that he's already pointing to Jesus right after sin enters the world. Because how cool is that? How amazing is that? I don't know about you, but today in like the world we live in interactions you have with people, you're in relationship with people all the time who have a view of who God is. They have a view of who God um, made them to be. They have a view of God and the way God feels about them. They have a way that they believe that their father is waiting for them whenever they turn to him after they've really failed or messed up. But in the very beginning, there's an accurate view of what really our father does in those moments. And it's that he steps into our brokenness with us. He pursues us and he shows us his grace and says, I'm going to make this right. You're not going to do this on your own. From the very beginning, God is showing us that's how we can relate to him. And that's how he's going to relate to us. And, and that promise uh, that God's giving, uh, I think it's hidden in there sometimes. Because you remember, like, the, he's saying this to the snake, right, in 315. He's saying that he's going to cause hostility between you and the woman and your offspring. And when you read that, you're like, so, so God's going to make snakes and women not like each other? Like, I, that makes sense. I see that, right? It, it's, like, really kind of cryptic and confusing if you're not unpacking it. But when God is saying that he's going to cause hostility between the woman's offspring and the snake's offspring, he's talking about Jesus being the offspring of a woman. Multiple times in scripture, 
Jesus is referred to as the offspring of a woman, right? He's born of a virgin. The snake, his offspring, are those the evil forces that are plotting against to kill Jesus and ultimately will follow through with killing Jesus, right? The Pharisees, those who were trying to create a plan to, to take Jesus down. And so God from the beginning was saying, yeah, there's going to be hostility between those two parties. There's going to be hostility. But in the end, he will strike your head, meaning Jesus will strike the snake's head. And you, Satan, will strike his heel, meaning he's going to be wounded. Yes, he will strike his heel. Yes, Jesus will be wounded. Yes, he will be sent to death. But ultimately, Jesus will crush his head. Ultimately, Jesus will be victorious over sin and death on the cross. You know, when God is giving us this promise this early on, I I think that it's something that we have to be reminded of again and again and again in scripture, and God does, thankfully. Uh, If you remember, Genesis 3.15 happens. It's a couple thousand years before God speaks what we just read together to Abram today. And the promise again, Abram, through you, all families will be blessed, pointing to Jesus again. There's a couple thousand years between that, okay? And guess what? There's going to be a couple more thousand years before Jesus ever even walks the earth, and that comes to fruition. Think about that for a second. Can I tell you, I think it's important for us to remember that God never forgets his promises. He doesn't forget them. And maybe some of you need to hear that today, that God hasn't forgotten about you. God hasn't forgotten about that promise that he spoke to you, about that calling on your life. He hasn't forgotten about that person that you love that he is still pursuing so, so fiercely, even when it looks like there's nothing going on. He doesn't forget the way we see time is not the way that our father does. He functions outside of time. And God is, again, renewing these words. He is speaking them as he tells Abram that this is what he's going to do, that this is what he promised. And then there's another part of this passage that we have to look at also. It's not just the promise of all he's going to do. He's asking Abram to do something. He's asking him to be obedient and leave. Leave your native country. So if you look back in Genesis 12, we read through this passage. The very first thing God says to him is leave your country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go somewhere that I will show you. He's asking him to leave. And where is he asking him to go? Somewhere he'll let him know. Leave everything you have there. Take the few things that I'm going to tell you to bring and go. Now, I don't know about you or not, but this sounds like some sort of mystery mission trip. Like, what if God came to you and he was like, hey, tomorrow you're going to get on a plane. So you have all day today to pack your stuff, get your kids ready, anybody who's going with you. And tomorrow you're going to get on a plane and they're going to go share the gospel. And you're like, okay, I'm in. Where are we going? I'll let you know. 
Think about that for a second. Some of you would be like, this is the best thing ever. I can't wait to get the heck out of here. Like, I don't care where I'm going, Lord. I'm following you. I'm going to go share the good news. Others of you, normal people, would be like me. Hopefully. I'm just kidding. Uh, I would be like, yeah, Lord, I have a lot of questions. Of course I'm going to go. But I'm going to need to know, like, what kind of clothes at least to pack? Could I at least get some insight on the climate? Because I do have to wear clothes. And um, could you at least tell me like what language is being spoken there so that I can get the right Rosetta Stone from the library? Because I don't know if you know what went down at that tower, but there's a lot of different languages now. And does any of your conversations sound like that with the Lord sometimes? When he's like, I'm making it real clear. And then you're like, I'm with you, but I have a lot of questions. God didn't reveal the whole picture to Abraham. He just gave him the promise. He was asking Abraham to step out and go into the unknown. And also, as you're thinking about going into the unknown, remember, he wasn't just going somewhere that God hadn't revealed yet. He was also leaving everything that felt secure. Those are two different things. Going somewhere that you're not really sure about and like waiting for God when you're in a season of uncertainty and you're waiting for God to tell you what is next. That's a lot in itself. But then leaving everything that's secure, there's, a gr- there's grief attached to that all on its own, isn't there? Anytime you leave something behind or you let go of something, sometimes our muscles of faith are built when we go into the unknown, why we are trusting God in uncertainty. And other times we grow when we learn to let go and we move on. And that's what God is asking of Abram. Remember, um, as Abram left, uh, we don't actually know the specifics of the posture of Abram's heart at this time, but I've shared with you his ancestors, right? There was a whole lot more than just land that Abram was leaving when he turned and followed this call that God gave him for his life. And so um, verse four kind of unpacks that a little bit more. It says in 12, chapter four, it's chapter 12, verse four, it says, so Abram departed and he left as the Lord instructed. And Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, you probably know her as Sarah, and his nephew Lot and all his wealth and his livestock and all the people he'd taken into his household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. So Abram has departed. He's on his way. He's set out. And he's on this mission, not quite exactly sure like when he's going to stop. He assumes that God will tell him once he's in the place where he's supposed to stop and stay, surely God will let him know that. Um, I was thinking about this passage this week and I was studying, uh, there's something called sailing under sealed orders. It's a military term. And I was studying about that um, because I was thinking about like what it would really mean to like go And like your loved ones wouldn't know like where you were going or how long you were going to be gone or where you're even stopping. And uh, when naval ships or submarines, like it's not uncommon for them to receive orders. 
and leave shore not knowing where they're going. Like they leave their loved ones behind and it's not until they're miles and miles off of shore that they actually are allowed to open a sealed envelope and, and understand where their destination will be. It's not uncommon for that to happen. And so I don't know about you, but that requires a level of trust for the person who's at the helm, who's giving the orders, right? I was thinking about this, and again, my personality type, or lack of faith, whichever you'd like to call it, is blown away when I read stories about this, because I'm just like, wow, I could never. I mean, yes, Lord, if you said, then I could, sure, but um, that would be hard. And I started thinking about the early church. I started thinking about Paul. And the days of the early church, I couldn't help but like recall how, you know, Paul found himself on a boat, like heading towards Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 20, and do you remember like what Paul was processing that time? He was speaking to the elders of the church of Ephesus, and he told them, he said, and now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, and I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city then jail, that jail and suffering lie ahead. So Paul knew where he was going. He knew his destination, but he wasn't quite sure exactly what was waiting for him there with the exception of jail and suffering. Right? He's like, I don't exactly know specifically what's going to be waiting for me when I get there except for suffering. So that the Holy Spirit is leading, that's where I'm following. But if you keep reading this passage, he says, because my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. My work is telling the others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul was like, I actually don't care where I'm going or even what's going to happen to me. All I care about is staying in step with the Holy Spirit's will for my life. It's the only reason I exist. You know, I think Paul knew something that each of us have to take away with us today. It's not about where we're going. It's about who we're following. It's not about what's going to happen in the end. It's not about where we're going to end up. It's about who is God creating and making new in us all along the way. Who are we becoming while we're on this journey? What are we allowing God to do in relationship with him? Paul knew that it wasn't about where he was going. It was about who he was following. And I think that um, when we look at the way Abram was able to step out in obedience and uh, leave behind what was, I think it should be a reminder to us about our level, like for our capacity for tension. Because what I've learned to myself over the years as I've been like telling on myself up here about how um, I can really struggle with wanting to be in control of things. I've learned that like my level of anxiety tells me something about my lack of trust in a situation. I've learned to start asking the question, man, why does feeling like so out of control about this reveal something about my lack of trust? And I know, and I know, and I know with all my heart after walking through enough situations like this, that God's just after our heart. 
He wants our trust. He actually doesn't want us to comply with what he says to do. He doesn't want us to go where he says to go and, and take care of the things he wants us to take care of. He actually, he wants our heart. And when we trust someone deeply, obey and obedient, obeying is the result. When we trust someone deeply, obedience just happens as a result. So Abram is stepping out in faith. He has gone on and he's arrived in the land of Canaan. And now we're in verse six. He's on his journey and he's decided to like stop somewhere and set up camp for a bit. It says that Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem and there he set up camp beside the Oak of Moray. And at that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Now, um, I don't know about you guys, but in history, it's never good if you're setting up camp somewhere that's already inhabited by other people, right? It's like, okay, if, if you were asking the Lord, is this it? Is this the place? It'd be like, well, I mean, you have two options. You can either fight, because they're not leaving, or you can just go somewhere else. So Abram is in this place. He set up camp, and it's there that God appears to him. And God speaks this to him in verse 7. He says, I will give this land to your descendants. I will give this land to your descendants. Interesting, for a lot of reasons. So Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord, who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country, with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. And there he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord. Then Abram continued traveling south by stages toward Negev. Now, let's pause for a second. When God appears to him, I said they, he'd settled and set up a camp at this place, and God appears to him, and he begins to shower him with this assurance and hope for the future. However, what's the small problem with telling Abram that the place he has settled is going to belong to his descendants? Abram doesn't have any, right? One of the most famous stories probably about Abraham that you hear is that his wife was barren. They were super old. It said he was like 75 when they left Haran. They could not have children. And so imagine, you know, you're on your journey. You hear the promise of God. You're on your journey. You're, you're being obedient. You're stepping out in faith. Here you are. You come to a place and you appear to hit some sort of roadblock. Like there's people here. So this must not be it for sure. And God comes to give you a little reassurance and says something like, don't worry. This is the land I'm giving to your children's children's children. And you're like, but I don't have those. Like, do you think at this point you could start to go, I wonder if I have the wrong connection. Maybe God's got me confused with someone else. Should we go back to point A? Because maybe he gave the promise to the wrong person. Do you ever do that? You hear the promise. You know, you know, you know what God is speaking to your heart. You know what he has said. You know where he's sending you. You know that, that what he says is true. But then you encounter a roadblock a detour, something comes up and it, it makes you question. God is right there with Abram and he's showering him with more hope. Like this whole time that Abram's been on this journey, God never left him. 
He's gone with him. And here he is coming in. And what he doesn't say to Abram is, hey, don't worry. I'm going to take all these people out. Eventually, your people are going to come into the promised land. Nope. He just tells him, this is the land I'm going to give your descendants. And what does Abram decide to do with that news? It says that he builds an altar and he worships God. He worships God. Anytime we're reading scripture, it's, it's important for us to look um, at what the text actually meant for those when it was originally written. That's the first place we always have to start. And so when it talks about building altars for us in our culture today, if we just jump to the question like, what does that mean for us? We'd be like, well, probably nothing. I don't know when the last time you built an altar was, but, but what did it mean for them? What did it mean that Abram built an altar to worship the Lord in that moment? The reason throughout scripture that you see people build altars is because it's to memorialize an impactful, profound encounter with God. And so in this moment, he's in this land, God appears to him, gives him another promise And what does he do? He builds an altar. He wants to tangibly remember and take a moment to worship God for this encounter he has had with him. Sometimes in my own journey, when I hit a roadblock or things start to look like this isn't the plan, this wasn't the way things were supposed to go, my first response is not always worship. I wish I could tell you it was. Abram begins to worship God. And um, I think it's important for us to recognize that the promises God speaks to us don't always match our circumstances. They don't always make sense. And I might even add they won't usually make sense if we're in step listening and allowing the Holy Spirit to be the one who's leading us. I I wonder what our life would be like for a second if we didn't look over the small moments and opportunities to praise God for answered prayers. Like what if there was a tangible celebration each time you woke up and you had a moment of gratitude for God, or there was some answered prayer in your family's life or someone that you love? What if there was a tangible moment of celebration? For those of you who love celebrating things, you're like, yes, we should do it. We should have like a party in balloons to memorialize every single time God does something good. We should never stop telling the story. And I agree with you. I love telling stories. I'm not a very good preacher, but I love telling stories about what God has done. I love telling stories about God's faithfulness. I love telling stories about how, yeah, it didn't really look like the things were going to work out, but then God. And then the Lord did this. And I think that if we could live with this posture of praise, if if we could not overlook the tiny little moments uh, that God answers a prayer, maybe prayers we've forgotten about. Have you ever had that happen in your life? where there are prayers or things that promises that God has spoke to you and you prayed about them for a long time. And then you were like, guess I heard that wrong. And then years later, the Lord's like, Hey, here's your answered prayer. And you're like, Oh, I forgot about that. God doesn't forget. And as we're sharing and we're celebrating and praise in worship is a vital part of our relationship with our father. 
if what if we were to live in this constant posture of praise and worship? Do you know what I think might happen at some point? Is that the next time we experience uncertainty, we will have so many praises and so much worship to look back on that have memorialized and that we have celebrated that when we hit the roadblock, our response isn't to freak out and try to start fulfilling God's purpose on our own, but it's to praise him in advance and with expectancy. When we learn to look back, which is what we're doing today, when we learn to look back at who God is and what he's done, we can look forward with expectancy. We always can, but we get ourselves in trouble when we allow our own thoughts, our own emotions, other people around us, spiritual authority in our lives. It could be parents, it could be anyone. As life goes on, those things can shape our idea of who God is. Those things can shape our idea of the kind of father we have. Those things can shape our idea of God's promise for our life, but we have to continually keep looking back because if we do, if we keep looking back to the truth, like we've been doing today, what we see is that when we're following Jesus, the best is always yet to come. It always is. It is always yet to come. And just like in that day, as God was calling Abram to step out in his faith, just like when God began to unfold this plan for redemption, God was getting ready to change the trajectory of humanity for eternity through his relationship with Abram. And can I tell you the really good news is he's still doing it right now. He is still redeeming humanity through relationships right now. Yes, When Jesus came, there was redemption. He overcame sin and death. But until Jesus comes back, we as the body of Christ, we are still redeeming humanity through relationship, one relationship at a time. And it can be really dark and daunting, guys. Like when we talk about Genesis 11 left us in a dark place, like our world right now, you could look around and get really depressed if you're into that kind of thing. If you you look around, it does not take much for things to feel really dark and daunting and and very helpless. But God has not stopped redeeming humanity through relationship. I loved what Cody said last week. If you missed it, I won't tell him. Or if you don't remember, I won't tell him. I'm just going to say it again. Okay. He said, if you want to go big, go small. He said, that's what God was getting ready to do. He didn't just snap his fingers and then say, okay, everything's better again. He chose to redeem humanity through relationship because that's what it's always been about. When we were created in God's image in the first place, we were created for relationship with him. If you want to go big, go small. And that might look like the people in front of you. That might look like the small circles of relationships you have It might look like investing in the next generation, your children, your grandchildren. And faithfulness is hard in those situations. I don't know about you, but faithfulness, when it comes to investing in people, it gets real messy, right? Sometimes you plant seeds and sometimes you get to like see them grow once in a great while. Other times you're just planting and watering and watering and watering and watering and watering, and and then you die before they ever grow. Really depressing, right? 
But honestly, faithfulness, it, it, it can be tiring and it can make us weary. Um, parenting is a whole lot like that. A whole lot like that, from what I can tell. And I'm only like five years in, you guys. I'm trying so hard to look at it with a long-term perspective. I'm trying to think, you know, when God spoke to Abraham, it was thousands of years before Jesus ever walked to earth when he gave that promise. Like, the seeds I'm planting in these little lives, I will never get to see them grow, but I'm going to keep planting. And I'll finish by telling you this story, um, because as I was studying for this message, I had a little helper, a little visitor on the couch one morning at 6 a.m., and uh, my sweet Elle, she's five. She, she's always loved getting up early. She was a great sleeper as a baby. She's always loved getting up early, though. Um, so we've had to go over this thing in our house where, like, as soon as she gained independence and knew she could get out of her bed, she wanted to roam the house at all hours. Like, she wanted to wake up at 5 a.m. So we've gone through a lot of years of suffering and troubleshooting of getting things into place where she would understand that you're not allowed out of your your bed until 6 a.m., okay? And so we're actually, I'm pleased to say, in a place where most of the time that's true. She has a little digital clock, and maybe some of you have parents of older kids, you're like, bless your heart, honey, yes, this is just the beginning, you know, of them not doing what you want them to do. So uh, she knows that until it says 6, she's not allowed out of her bed. However, sometimes she just wants to do it, even though she knows what's best, and she knows there'll be consequences if she doesn't. Her little body wants to do it anyway. And so once in a while, at 5 a.m., we hear her barreling out of her room. Um, And this particular week, a few weeks ago, I was exhausted. We have a two-year-old little boy, and he was like kind of cold, yucky stuff that week. and, And so I was done. Like, I was so tired. And she comes at 5 a.m. and, you know, she's in one of those fiery moods where, like, she doesn't really care that you're saying, like, this is not the way we do things in our house. Like, it did not matter. It did not matter. Um, And so I reminded her gently, like a good parent would, that on Saturday morning she really loves watching cartoons. And she knows that on Saturday mornings, like, if she wants to wake up at 6 a.m. and she wants to watch cartoons, that, that she will be allowed to do so. And so uh, in that moment, don't judge me, okay? I'm not saying this is good parenting. I was just like, if you do not go back to your bed, I'm just letting you know that's your choice, but you won't be allowed to watch cartoons tomorrow morning. And again, she didn't really care. It, it, she was like, okay. Uh, didn't care. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, whatever. So, so the next morning comes, and I'm tired. I'm so tired. I'm like, finally Saturday morning. Like, this is the day I was going to sleep in. And uh, 6 o'clock comes. So she made it to 6, and I hear her barreling out of her bed. And I'm kind of like halfway awake, and I feel like I'm just like, oh, no, I have to get up and follow through with my consequences. <laughs> Like, she's going down there to watch cartoons. And so I have to now live with my choices. So I go downstairs, um, and on the way downstairs, I'm just, like, so tired. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, all of a sudden, I feel like the Holy Spirit was just like, you can't let her recognize the weight of her decisions on her own. Um, because I actually wasn't really too worried about her turning on the cartoons, I, Elle's, the interesting thing about her is 
she is wants to do her own thing a lot of times, but if you deliver the consequence, like I knew she wasn't gonna go and try to do something um, that she wasn't supposed to, I just knew she was gonna be down there alone and I wasn't sure what else she was gonna do, right? So I'm on my way down and I'm like, she's gonna realize what she did and she didn't care yesterday, but she's gonna care today and I can't let her go through that alone, right? So I go down the stairs and I'm dragging myself in the living room and it's pitch black and she's just sitting on the couch with the remote, staring into darkness. Like the TV's not on, she's just holding it. And I'm like, Elle, honey. And she doesn't even turn her head, she just keeps staring forward and she goes, I just wish I never would have got out of my bed. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and this was a big deal because I don't usually see this out of Elle. There's usually not tons of remorse or like disappointment in herself. She's usually pretty <laughs> pleased with her choices. Uh, and so I'm like going into a mom moment and I'm like, let me just love you. And so we sit on the couch and I was like, I'm sorry. I know it's hard whenever you have to live with the consequences of your choices. And so I'm studying Abraham and she's on the other end of the couch listening to her Bible story. Story. It's a real sweet moment at 6 a.m. on a Saturday as a parent. And she's listening to Jonah and I didn't realize that. And all of a sudden I'm studying and I hear her go, Oh, I just think I feel like Jonah. I just think I feel like Jonah. And I'm like, what? And she's like, I just, I, I wish I would have done what I knew I was supposed to do, but I didn't. And, and I realized that the story in Jonah is when he has made the choice to disobey God and now he's in the whale. And I'm like, oh, I bet you do. <laughs> and so anyway, it just was this sweet moment where I got to look her in the eyes and just say, Mommy will never let you feel your disappointment by yourself. I was like, Elle, I cannot change that this is gonna happen to you again. Like there are gonna be times when you're gonna feel consequences from your choices and I cannot save you from those. But I want you to know, you don't have to feel that disappointment in yourself and what you're feeling alone. I will always be here with you, to be here and, and love you. And you know what else? So will God. And, I, and we got to talk about the Holy Spirit giving us self-control. I got to talk about how, like, in those moments, I'm like, honey, there are times when I want to do things even though I know they're not what's best for me, and I have to pray and ask the Holy Spirit for self-control. We got to have so many great little, like, talks together. So much happened there. And can I tell you, as a parent, I would like to say that she got up the next day and never sinned again, that she never got out of her bed, that that little sweet talk did the trick but it didn't. It happened again two weeks later. <laughs> but the point is, as I was reflecting on these last few weeks, um, that, you know, that's a whole lot of what our relationship with God is like. As you think about the way our loving Father comes to us in our moments of disappointment, it's never going to be the pain and sting of our consequences that are enough to change our heart. Maybe for a short term, our decisions might deter us from doing them again, but they will never heal our heart the way our Father does. It will never make us new. And um, I'm going to have Steve come up because I, as I was praying over this, like, and I, I didn't have the story as part of my sermon, but it kept coming back to me when I was preparing. And I was like, I think I'm just going to share this at the end. And I'm going to let the Lord, like, speak to people's hearts. So I added it in. Um, 
Because I think there's something there in each of us. It was there in biblical times where sometimes ourselves were like, why don't I get it yet? Like if I'm a follower of Jesus, I should get it. I, should, I shouldn't have to keep feeling maybe the guilt or the shame or the consequences of my choices. Like surely I should get it by now. Like that's the kind of way we talk to ourselves. And maybe it's because we're convinced that we have a father who cares more about changing our behavior than he does just sitting with us on a couch and being with us as we open our heart to him. And can I tell you, I, I wanna make sure we don't leave here today without your heart and your mind being in an agreement of a place that God has never been about wanting to change your behavior, to deliver consequences that will make you wish you did something different. God has always been about relationship. From the very beginning, he's been about wanting your heart. From the very beginning, he's wanted you to turn to him instead of away from him when you find yourself in places of regret and disappointment. And I, I think right now, I just, I want us to pray over, um, just have a moment with the Lord as your father. I wanna pray over you as we close and I want you to just look into the eyes of Jesus right now. I want you to look into your father's eyes and ask yourself, what do I see? Some of you really need a moment where God redeems the way you see him and the way that you believe he sees you. That he's not exhausted of having to have the same conversation with you over and over again. He actually loves it dearly when you turn to him. He cares so deeply about your relationship with him. Holy Spirit, can you fill in the blanks, Lord, where our minds disconnect from our heart, God? Thanks for listening this week. If you are looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to vkcwest.com.